today what we have is instead experience placed at or even above with the new apostolic reformation um the word of god and that's why you see um you know teachers and books placed as we've talked about many times i'm sure um over and above the word of god um so you have dreams you have interpretations you have personal revelations um placed at the level of scripture placed at the level or above the word of god now they won't say that they won't tell you that but you have to pay attention to the emphasis you have to pay attention to the way in which they handle the word of god and in that way it's it actually is similar to why we need um reformation and this is a man-centered message. It is not Christ-centered. It is not glorify Christ. It glorifies man while using God in the process to further this belief of some sort of exploit and give people false hope. It gives them wrong direction. It misguides them. It does not point them back to the sufficiency of Scripture. It points them back to the sufficiency of Chris Vallotton's dream that he had and using Scripture in the process to validate his dream and his his biblical revelation that he's claiming. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the One who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Don Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about sola scriptura. Prima Scriptura and Biblical Hermeneutics, and as always, we have a few examples. We'll get to those examples uh, here in a, in a few minutes. So, so we're uh, gonna, I'm gonna only briefly, very very briefly, explain what the five souls are, what Biblical Hermeneutics is, what Sola Scriptura is, and Prima Scriptura, and then Dawn is gonna share her thoughts if she has any, and then um, we'll get into the examples. So that's where we're going today. Um, so the reformers, they taught what is known as the five solas, scripture alone, sola scriptura, faith alone, sola fide, grace alone, sola gratia, Christ alone, which is solus Christus, and glory to God alone, which is sola deo gloria. Dr. Joel Beakey is a leading scholar on all things related to the reformers and the Puritans, and he said the first of these battle cries, referring to the five solas, Christ deals with the fundamental issue of authority. The middle three deal with the basics of salvation, and the final one addresses worship. I said it was going to be brief, so that that's about the five souls. The idea for biblical hermeneutics it comes from Luke twenty four twenty seven, which says, "And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself." Now, the word "interpret" it means to unfold the meaning of what is said, to explain, to expound, to translate into one's native language. The root idea of explained is a word from which we derive hermeneutics, which is the art and science of biblical interpretation. So again, um, there's a lot that I'm leaving out there about hermeneutics, but that's just essentially the nuts and bolts of it. Prima Scriptura is a doctrine that Scripture is God's words is first or primary in, in the way in which God's revelation comes to us. So we can compare and even contrast uh, Prima Scriptura with Sola Scriptura. So prima scriptura, remember, means that scripture is first among other sources of divine revelation. Sola scriptura teaches that scripture is the only source of divine revelation. Prima scriptura views the Bible as authoritative, 
even may be uh, the most authoritative source, but it leaves the door open for other authoritative sources of revelation. So Prima Scriptura holds to the primacy of Scripture, but to that view, the Bible becomes only one of several rules uh, for faith and practice in the Christian life, not the only rule for faith and practice as Scola Scriptura teaches. Don, do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I think it's a really good overview. Um, and I know as for someone who came out of uh, the belief system I did, this was not something that was talked about. Uh, we didn't really, we didn't learn about uh, hermeneutics. Um, there's like a running meme, I think, that you find online where it says hermeneutics. Who is that? I've never heard of him. Um, but I've, I've never, I never recall ever hearing anything about biblical hermeneutics, uh, learning about the five solas. Uh, we learned about Martin Luther, and it was touched on briefly about the what the reformers did, but we never really learned about anything like that. And so I think from, from my perspective of someone coming out of the movement I came out of, of the charismatic or hyper charismatic, uh, that there is a, a deficiency there of not understanding that. And then essentially, you're not understanding how to really interpret scripture or understand the uh, the authorial content of it, the the audience, uh, the application, if it applies to you or not, if a passage is descriptive versus prescriptive, and some of those can be abused. And I know that's not exclusive to the charismatic or hyper-charismatic movement, but you do see that a lot that's going on that because people are not interpreting properly or they're not taking the time to um, really exposit the Word of God and to hold Scripture in high esteem um, and and uh, really have visions and dreams and other things that begin to carry the same weight as Scripture does, even though a lot of people won't say that, but they do. Um, it's just really good to hear these things, and I'm glad that we're talking about it today so that way people will know that there's a distinction because some people will use the term sola scriptura, but really they're demonstrating prima scriptura. Would, would, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really good. And and just to clarify for everybody, you may not know what authorial intent is. You might know what that is, but here's what it is. It's, it's, it's the idea that um, all God, God's Word God used what's called dual authorship. So he used the personality and the talents and the ability and the skill and the education of the author. And he wrote his word uh, using the personality and the talents and the skills and the ability and the education and the knowledge of that person. But he inspired that person to write it down. Now, the, uh, that's important because like when we talk about authorial intent, we're talking about the, the author's intended goal under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that it has a meaning, has a purpose, has an intended goal for the people of God. So the whole Bible, we can say, and, and we call this redemptive history, has a goal, has a point. It, the apex, the goal is Jesus Christ. We see that from Genesis 3.15 onward to Revelation 22. With with so when you look at it, when you're looking at a book, the the author has an intended goal. He has an intended meaning, and he has an intended purpose. You can't accurately interpret that specific book rightly until you understand that specific goal. Like for example, give an example in Luke's gospel at the beginning, he says that he writes to Theophilus. You know, uh, he writes so that he can have um, assurance of salvation. 
you know, uh, so that he'll know for sure about the things concerning Jesus. So he has what we call an apologetic aim. He writes so that people can have a defense and they can know for certain about what Jesus wrote. Well, Luke also has an intended goal, which is Luke in he gives in Luke 19:10, which is what we would call a key theme verse for Luke's gospel, which is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So that's just like very simply some of what author when people use the word author intent, that's kind of what they're what they're meaning. Now, like to what you were saying earlier, even the Reformation had an intended goal because what was happening during that time is kind of in some ways similar to ours. Because what was happening is is that uh, they were focusing on penance, the idea that you had to earn your salvation. You had right. to do something. You had to give money to the Catholic Church in order to merit salvation. So they they would give you would give them money, and they would give absolve you of your of your sins. So this is why you know guys like Martin Luther. He came. He even Luther recognized when he was an Augustinian monk. He recognized ultimately that you know that wasn't going to do enough. And as an Augustinian monk, he says in his own words that he did all that he could under that particular system. But he realized that he was never going to get salvation. And he and he recognized this afterwards. And so guys like Martin uh, Martin Luther and um, you know uh, John Calvin, they talk about justification being declared not guilty by God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ um, as being legally forgiven, legally, being legally declared not guilty by God, and, and as the main hinge and the article upon which the Christian religion stands. And so now one of the reasons that that is so important is because rather than um, having scripture be like central in the Christian life and in the life of the church, what was happening is instead the Catholic Church was having the, the, the word be pushed aside to the side and essentially the mass was placed at the center. So the priest was placed at the center. And this is actually the parallels are, are not, I won't say one-to-one, -one, but they're essentially very similar. Because what you have today with you know these with Bethel and you have with the modern day deliverance ministry is you have this idea this notion of extra biblical you know interpretation so there's the scripture isn't enough for our life and godliness that's sola scriptura that is the same as with what was happening in the catholic church the catholic church was placing authority and scripture at the same level today what we have is instead experience placed at or even above with the new apostolic reformation um the word of god and that's why you see um you know teachers and books placed as we've talked about many times i'm sure um over and above the word of god um, so you have dreams you have interpretations you have personal revelations um placed at the level of scripture placed at the level or above the word of god now they won't say that they won't tell you that but you have to pay attention to the emphasis you have to pay attention to the way in which they handle the word of god and in that way it's it actually is similar to why we need um reformation 
because the reason that we needed Reformation in the first place is people weren't handling the Bible. They weren't placing the Bible before the people, and people saw that as, as a great problem. Now, to be clear, uh, many people who have studied church history, they're well beyond me in their understanding and their ability to explain everything. I'm, I'm, I'm being succinct here. I'm not saying everything that can be said or should be said because um, we're, we're, there's just no way to get into all of it, okay? There's a lot of history. But even, even the Reformers disagreed on some of the specifics and the non-essentials of, of doctrine. And that was okay that they disagreed, but they agreed on the essentials. And they all agreed on the central need of the Bible to be central in, in the gathering of God's people so that the word could be preached because the word was being pushed aside and the people were being led astray. And in that way, what we see what's happening with these errant and heretical theologies is the same need. And to be clear, the church always needs reformation. In fact, we're talking uh, as we record during Reformation Month on the 31st, we celebrate Reformation Day. Um, and so the church is always in need, is always in need of reform, and it needs to be reforming around the Word of God. And, and this is why we can say this isn't just a need for one day. This is a need for our lives personally. There, this is our need corporately. Um, and so the word has to be central because the only way to know God is to know him is as, as he's revealed in the word. There's no other way to know God. There's no other way to know the operation of the spirit at work in the world. Um, there's no other way to understand the providence of God, that is, how God works and orchestrates all things according to his glory um, as revealed in the Word. There, there's no other way to know the sovereign power of God um, by which he upholds the universe by the word of his power, by which we have life and breath. Uh, there's no other way, for example, to know how to face suffering apart from the, the suffering of Jesus. Um, there's no other way to know the instructions that were given in, in Peter and James and all the other epistles about how to face trials and difficulties and other things. There's no other way, even if we go back to the Old Testament, we have Job, right? We have the Psalms. We have, um, we have Genesis. I mean, we have so many examples of how to face suffering. And God put them there because he knows that li our life in this post-fall world is going to be hard and difficult. And why Jesus even said in John sixteen thirty three to his disciples and 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 giving this giving this um, seminary level education to them in the upper room uh, the upper room discourse um, from John thirteen to seventeen he's teaching them about what life is going to be like and what their ministry is going to be like and 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 he spends a considerable time there even talking with the disciples about the spirit and the spirit's work and how the spirit is going to work through the word in John 15:16. So I I know I said just a lot there. I wasn't intending to say all that, but but our need is our need is for reformation. The the need isn't only in the reformation and calling out uh, abhorrent doctrine. That's a need. But our need is also personal and it's for the church. The church the church uh, we have too many people engaging in pragmatism we have too many people by that i mean pl placing programs over people rather than 
uh, having the word inform and instruct them and be the ordinary means of grace by which uh, the, the faithful preaching of the word is brought to bear on people's lives and where the word is central. We have too many people placing programs before that ministry. Now, programs can serve that ministry, but they can never replace that ministry. And that's the problem with se the seeker-sensitive church. With, it's the problem with pragmatism. And so I don't want you to think I'm just picking on the new apostolic reformation here. There, there's a lot to say, and there's a lot of need for reformation. And, and, and I could say a lot more, but... Um, like I said, I was trying to be brief, so <laughs> this is this is again me trying to be brief. Just to keep that in mind. Well, I did want to say something real quick. I know that yeah. we'll be diving into the the examples that we want to talk about, but um, I just happen to have this on my desk because I'm working on something. Um, this was a, a journal that I had when I was in this movement. I mean, I had a couple of journals, but this whole this journal, Dave, is full. This right here, this is all stuff that I, I said God told me, mm. all of it. And you were talking about Scripture. We're talking about Scripture here, and there is a um, one of the things that we were highly encouraged in this movement was to write down when we got prophetic words. I mean, I had prophetic words written in there from leaders that spoke over me. Mm. Um, I, I have things that I got in private, private time in the secret place. You know, no one else, no one knows where the secret place is, but we always talk about the secret place in the prophetic movement and in, and in the, the charismatic. But um, we were highly encouraged to write down what we said God was telling us. And there are journals and there are other people that are, that were encouraged to journal and then to go back and look at this and, there, there's this disconnect of, well, this is not authoritative, but it is authoritative. I don't know if I'm making sense of what I'm saying, but it just seems, it just seems very um, double-minded to me to say that where we, instead, you should be steering people back to scripture, not just using the scripture to validate your personal revelations that you're getting. And then you're saying, well, they may be authoritative. They may not be authoritative because we believe that prophecy uh, is fallible today and that uh, when somebody speaks um, prophetically today that it doesn't carry the same um, weight um, as scripture does but that doesn't agree with scripture because when whenever God spoke he always spoke with authority and when we hear God's word spoken there's always authority with it it, it never the authority is never separated from his word and so i just wanted to interject that as someone who came out of this that this is a practice that's done and it doesn't equate to sola scriptura amen so now that we've talked a little bit about that uh, we're going to look at a couple of examples today so the first example comes from chris valentin many people are familiar with him he is a self-professing prophet and he is one of the senior leaders at Bethel Church. This was a video that he did two years ago on a teaching at Bethel, and the title of the video was called Understanding the Scriptures. Have you ever tried to explain something that, that you experienced and then try to explain it with words? I've, I've put this dream in a book and read the book a year later and thought, well, it wasn't exactly like that. <laughs> so I'm trying to explain something, and you know how dreams, they kind of like, they kind of defy the laws of physics? Like in a dream, you can fly, right? And, and so um, this is a little bit of a, 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 a good but strange dream. In the dream, I saw words, like words like powerful, like courageous, uh, like holy, like noble. You know, just one word. Are you with me? And they were falling like rain, 
They were just falling like rain. And they were all the same size, and they were just falling like rain. And all of a sudden, in the dream, I heard, I'm giving you a new operating system. God said, I'm giving you a new operating system. And when he said, I'm giving you a new operating system, all of a sudden, the words, this is the kind of hard part to explain, the words became alive. Like, every word was alive. And it was, um, it was like 3D. It was like spinning and alive, and some of the words were really small, and some of the words were really, really big. Like some of the words would take up the whole screen, if we were using it as an example, and some of the words were really tiny, like almost like small print. And they were spinning. And, and the words were, um, the, the, the easiest way I can explain it is they were like 3D. Like you could, you could look at it, you could look at the word holy from here, you could look at it this way, you could, you could actually like, like a car, you could lift the hood and see another dimension of the word, you could open the doors, it's a metaphor, you could open doors, you could see inside. What I'm getting at is that every word had dimensions inside and out. And then in the, wor- and then, and then in the dream, I started to breathe the words in. Like the word, uh, the one I remember is the word courage. I saw the word courage. And in the dream, I went, ah, and I breathed the word. I know you're looking at me like, Weird. I wish Dan was up here. <laughs> in, the, in the dream, I'd breathe in the word courage, and when I breathe the word courage in, I would suddenly take on the manifestation of courage. I'd suddenly be courageous. And, 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 you know, and each, each word I would breathe in, I would take on the characteristic of that word. But also the words had different characteristics, like there was different ways to view the same word. And then the Lord said to me, I'm giving you a new operating system because I'm about to pour out the spirit of revelation on this generation and that old wineskin will rip with a new revelation that I'm about to pour out on this generation. So I woke out of the dream. I remembered, it was one of those dreams. You know, most dreams you wake up and you think you never forget it, 10 minutes later it's gone. You're like, oh no, what was that dream? I woke up out of the dream and it was like burned into my mind. Like it was like the movie was still going when I was awake. It was, wasn't a dream easily, I could easily forget. And I, I was like, Lord, what does that mean? A new operating system. And I began to, and, and the, first, the first phrase I heard is this phrase. Not all truth is created equal. When I woke up, not all truth is created equal. And then I began to, I, I, I started having all these scriptures come to my mind, and I started opening the scriptures, and I actually got up in the middle of the night, and I was like, what does this mean? And, and how, how do I, I, it's a new operating system. I need this operating system because I need the revelation. And so somehow this is a completely new operating system. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, it, it's just very ironic to me I, that he says that this video is about understanding the scriptures, but in this, in this particular part of the, the video, he's appealing to his dream um, as a personal experience, and this dream is giving, is giving credence to authority from God. Um, and he, him talking about this new operating system that God is going to give him, and that uh, that th- that he needs this new operating system, and then the, this generation needs this operating system, and they need the new wineskin because 
if they don't have the new wineskin, which that's new apostolic reformation talk. Uh, <laughs> that this is C. Peter Wagner type talk, the old wineskin, the new wineskin, um, that if they don't have the new wineskin, that it'll rip from the new revelation that's being poured out on this generation. And I, I would just, just observing that, I, I think it's problematic because when you're, he's, he's appealing to a dream. Um, he's placing this dream on authority with scripture. He would say he would disagree with that, but he is. He's, there is authority being carried with this dream and he views himself as a prophet. So this is also for a big body of people for this generation. So I don't see how this dream cannot carry authority when you're saying God told you these things. Um, because again, God is not ambiguous and, and when God speaks, it's, it's clear. It's not with that confusion or ambiguity. Um, God doesn't have trouble speaking to people. He, he, he's pretty clear about that. Um, and he's also implying too that I would think just listening to it, that it sounds as if what God has already done is just not enough, that this is not sufficient enough to do what needs to be done here on the earth, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, and he's claiming revelation. He's claiming new information, new revel new revelation on par with scripture that's needed in order for this generation to do things, to go forth. And it's all going back to a dream. So, um, he, there's a, there's a, a lack of sufficiency in resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross in, in God's word. Um, and also I would like to point out this message is not Christ centered. It is man centered. It is all centered on the, the new generation. And this is, a, this has gone on for decades with this whole thing of this, this generation's the final generation. Catherine Kuhlman prophesied about that, which was a false prophecy. There's been many people in this movement that have said that. They've said, well, this generation is going to be the, they're going to see the greatest move of God ever. And they're going to do mighty, mighty exploits for God. And they're going to do miracle signs and wonders and greater works than Jesus did. And this is a man-centered message. It is not Christ-centered. It does not glorify Christ. It glorifies man while using God in the process to further this belief of some sort of exploit and give people false hope. It gives them wrong direction. It misguides them. It does not point them back to the sufficiency of Scripture. It points them back to the sufficiency of Chris Vallotton's dream that he had and using Scripture in the process to validate his dream and his his biblical revelation that he's claiming notice in the in the clip his like you're saying the emphasis the emphasis is not on here's here's this passage of scripture that i'm opening and then i'm explaining which is which is what a teacher of the word does instead he's saying here's a dream the lord gave me and then at the end he says oh and i tried to make sense of it after the dream with the Bible, yeah, well, that's that's totally the reverse. Um, Acts uh, seventeen eleven, the 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 Bereans were sitting under the Apostle Paul's teaching. I mean, the guy who wrote thirteen you know epistles in the New Testament, he's, they're sitting under his teaching, and Paul commends them in Acts seventeen eleven for searching the Scriptures to see if these things that Paul is teaching are true. Um, but, but what 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 um, Chris is advocating is that this dream, as you said, is on par 
with the Bible. But the problem is, is he should have started, if, if he thought that the Bible was authoritative and sufficient, what he would have done is he would have said, oh, you know, maybe the stream wasn't from the Lord because um, it, it didn't accord with Scripture. But instead, he explains the dream. He says that when he woke up, he still had the dream. So the, 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 the way people uh, hear that is you think that the dream is on par with the scripture because then you went to the Bible to find out whether the Bible was what the Bible had to say what, what it would accord with your dream, which is, right. of course, the, the reverse of what the Bereans did. They, they searched the scripture to see if these things were so. And, and not only that, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians to do what? To test all things and to hold fast to what is good. Test all things. The word test there it means to examine or to analyze. Um, that, that's why the Bereans were commended. They, they tested. They analyzed. They, they saw that what Paul was saying was good. And then later Paul commended the Thessalonians, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for receiving the word with gladness or, or with thankfulness. Only because yeah. they searched the scriptures. But what... But what Chris is advocating is actually the opposite of what Scripture commands us to do and instructs us to do, and instead places this dream above teaching them the Word of God. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's the emphasis. It's the order. And especially in a message that's on Scripture, it's like like you said, this is code speech. You know, you have to pay attention when these guys talk to their emphasis and then when they're done talking or giving their example then notice the, the, the order they gave you the dream they gave you this teaching and then they're going to tell you oh and this is what it means and this is where it is in the bible or if they even mention the bible you know which that that's that's debate that, i'm being i'm being intentionally charitable here saying that they would even mention the bible i i don't think that they do by and large and then, and then the problem is, do they rightly handle the Bible, which is which is another matter because uh, every elder, according to Acts twenty, is to preach the whole counsel of God. Elders, which Chris is a pastor, is 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 a he's an elder, he's a pastor of a church. He's he's instructed, commanded, but an elder is to be able to teach to teach rightly, uh, according to Second Timothy two fifteen, uh, to Paul's commands Timothy. To rightly handle the word of God, so that the people of God will be rightly taught, um, and that they can grow in their own handling and skill of the Bible themselves. That that is also not what what Chris is doing. Uh, from by the way, the pulpit to a to a gathering uh, of of Christians in in a gathering. Um, I don't. I think it was this a conference, by the way. I'm not sure if it was a conference or not. I okay. know it's on their um, their YouTube channel on Bethel. But the point is, is that it's still, if it's a conference, if it's a service, the point is, is the same principle applies. That the Bible should be open, the Bible should be explained, the Bible should be, you know, uh, you know, thoroughly uh, looked at as, as the true standard for our faith and our practice. Not instead at the end, oh, I looked at where the Bible, looked for what this was in the Bible to use his own words to be fair. Um, that's that's exactly what we were talking about earlier, and it's not the only time. In fact, there was another guy. Uh, is it Richard Richard Gordon? 
and he uses this had this dream that the Lord gave him, and he got this program this this operating system uh, from from the Lord that and and this is part of their whole I, I think and you could probably speak to this definitely speak to this better than me but that seems to be their modus operandi. Here's a dream. Here's a vision. Here's an interpretation. Here's what I got from the Lord. Here's and I'm giving you what the Lord gave me, which in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. But the problem is, is that it's not from the Bible. It's not in the Bible, and it doesn't right. emphasize the Bible rightly as the only authority for our faith and for our practice. Instead, it's the dream. It's the vision. It's the interpretation. It's the latest teaching. It's the latest book above the Word of God. Um, R.C. Sproul. Uh, who was a one of the the greatest theologians of the late 20th century early 21st century he's now with the lord he said we have to determine our theology from the word of god not from what we feel and that's exactly what we're seeing here today is these the what theological liberalism did is is it is it placed um what we call a theology from below a theology from below is placing the Bible and what we feel, what we think, what we what we thought, at the same level as Scripture. What a theology from above is is the Scripture being over over and the ultimate authority as sola scriptura teaches for our faith and for our practice, for our feelings, for our experiences, for everything that we go. For another way to say that is is the reformers talked about it as the Scripture is the norm of norms. It, it re meaning that scripture regulates what we think, what we feel. It teaches us and instructs us. It helps us to grow in life and godliness, and then to interpret all of life from that vantage point, so that we can grow in godliness in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of blessing and comfort, and and all of that with God's people in the local church. And, and this is why also I think it's important to say we need to be in a church that, that preaches the Bible, not in a church that places feelings and interpretations and personal dreams above the Word of God. Um, so, um, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is deeply, deeply concerning, not only in its emphasis, it's wrong in its emphasis, but it's wrong in its, its view and handling of the Bible. And I think another thing that was really kind of disturbing uh, in what he said in that clip was that God told him that not all truth is created equal. <laughs> and I'm hearing him say that, and they, they say these statements a lot of times to um, that sound profound, but that's inaccurate. There's only one truth. And that's God's word. That's that's the truth according to what God has spoken. And for him to say God told him that not all truth is created equal, then that's not then you're comparing something that's not true. One thing is wrong and one thing is true. So that can't the wrong thing or the thing that's error or false can't be true because truth doesn't have levels to it. Because truth doesn't have levels to it. It's truth is truth. God's word doesn't have levels of truth to it. It's all authoritative or it's not. So I don't know what your thoughts were on that day, but I heard him say that and I thought, that's not a deep statement. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to be rude, but to say that God said not all truth is created equal, mm. but there's only one truth and that's God's word. And if you're going to, 
say something like that, and I know the next clip we'll look at, it's, there's some questions about w- how he views Scripture um, because of what he says and what he's implying in it. I, it just bothered me when I heard him say that because I thought, you're saying God told you that, and that just does not agree because there's not levels or gradients of truth. Yeah, we would say that all truth is God's truth. I mean, can't remember exactly where that comes from, but it's it's out there. I mean, it's a it's a legitimate statement, and and the idea behind that statement is is that God's word is true, and that God has spoken finally and definitively, and so we can know His revealed will. We can know His character. We can know His attributes. We can know the personal work of Christ. Like we mentioned about, I mentioned about suffering and trials. We can know how the Lord sees those things and how He sees us. Um, even in light of Christ and and before Christ, before we're saved. And we can know that because of the Bible. But there are no levels of truth. There's only one truth, and that is that it can be knowable. God is a knowable God. Um, You know, there's even a famous book by J.A. Packer on this very topic. Uh, J.A. Packer was a a late 20th century, 21st century theologian, and uh, he wrote the book Knowing God, which is a classic for a reason. Uh, and the the idea is, is that God is knowable. We can know God. We can know who God is. I think it was yep. A.W. Tozer who said that the the very first thought that we have about God um, says a lot about you know what we think about God or something like that. It's a paraphrase, but so but it's so true because the the very first thing that it, it, and even let me just say this this way when the very first time that you begin to think about God. The very first thought that you have at that very moment you are doing theology you are right. doing the task of theology that means that as rc sproul once said everyone is a theologian the question is, is whether you're a good one or a bad one and so is there you know levels of knowing uh, god well according to the scripture we we are to know god to know god the the hebrew word is cardia it, it pertains to the heart um, this is why in Proverbs 4.23, we're to guard our heart with all due diligence. The heart is the seed of knowledge according to Scripture, not the head. You know, uh, that's why theology, or Dr. Joel Beakey in his book, um, Reformed Systematic Theology, he talks about um, theology in terms of the head, the heart, and the hands. The head, the head has to know certain facts and ideas. The reason that we can know that is, is because God has given us his word. The truth that we know in our heads is supposed to impact our hearts, the seed of knowledge, where we begin to be transformed by the knowing of the truth. And then we go out with the truth because we, we know it, we're being transformed by it. And so we want then, because we've been changed by the truth, we want to go out and and for other people to see, hey, my life is different because I, I know the biblical God, I know the biblical gospel, I know biblical truth that's contained in the word. And so then we desire to, to go out and, and engage in evangelism, to share Christ with the lost, and to make uh, disciples of the nations for God's glory alone. And opposite of that, is it, with, Chris, with Chris's position here, is, is there some sort of levels of, of knowing God? And the only way to know God is to know him, as we've said, revealed in the word that's that's what we call special revelation that the, that the bible is the only standard for faith and practice and just to bring in back the the reformation idea that was what that was what um the reformers wanted to do they wanted to reform 
see per, pe, people's personal lives reformed by the Word of God. They wanted to see the church reformed around the Word of God. Um, you know, and, and that's why the church is always in need of reform. The, the church has always been in need of reform. This is, we can even use the councils and the creeds and the confessions as an example, especially the creeds. Some people say, I don't, we don't need creeds and confessions and catechisms today. Those are all bad. But all they were doing is going to the Bible at Nicaea and Chalcedon, and what they were doing was is they were trying to respond and bring clarity to the doctrine on the, on the Trinity, the deity of Christ, and other things, and they opened the Bible to see what scripture actually says and they had open meetings and open conversations you know people didn't agree with everything and and that was okay but they they sought to be grounded in scripture so that they could respond to those things and that's exactly what we have to do today their example provides an example of what we are to do today with these types of things um, it, that, and that way, this is a one-to-one -one example um, in that we ourselves have to go to what Scripture says and understand what it means. We ourselves have to understand what the church has taught so that we can call out, like Luther and Calvin did with the Catholic Church, the abuses that were happening. We ourselves can call out the abuses. And by the way, some people think, you know, John Calvin is all bad, but what they forget is <laughs> – Interestingly enough, I think many charismatics probably won't like this, but John Calvin is considered the theologian of the Holy Spirit. And John Owen was the prince of the Puritans, and he wrote the, the definitive treatise on the Holy Spirit in the his, probably the history of the church. Not the only good book, I don't mean that. But he wrote a massive <laughs> amount on the – he wrote on the, the person of the Holy Spirit. He wrote on the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and he wrote so much on it. It was volumes of his – it was several volumes of his work. You know, Find me somebody that's, can, that's written that much on that. I don't know if that exists at, at the depth and the, and the intellect and the ability of, of an Owen. But Owen wasn't only a massive intellect. It's hard to read him. Um, but he was also a pastor, and so he was writing for the benefit of the people of God um, so that they would know who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit aims to do. So the Holy Spirit is aiming to take the truth that we hear even in a podcast like this, but especially on the Lord's Day, and he's aiming to take that truth and he's aiming to drive it home deeper and deeper into our hearts and into our lives. That's why we need to personally be reading and studying and meditating on the Bible and corporately hearing the word preached and doing life in and under the word. That's why there could never just be a part of God's truth that I need. I need all of God's truth, and I need I need all of my life submitted in to the lordship of Christ revealed in the word, and, and, and I need to have other people's in my church. I need them submitted to Christ so that um, we can do what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says. We can bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. As, and that goes back to the law of Christ is in um, the great commandment, uh, which Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. So there's no way that, that there's not one part and one parcel, as Abraham Kuyper said, um, there, where God says he doesn't cry out, every square inch belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. The Lord says, it's mine, mine, mine. All of it belongs to the Lord. So all truth is God's truth. So there can never be a level um, or, or that, I, that I don't need to know 
I'll say it that way, that we don't need to know the truth and have the truth impact our lives in, in every facet and in every sphere of life. So, Amen. Well, the second clip that we're going to look at is from the same message that Chris Vallotton ministered. It's a little bit shorter clip, but he is going to talk about um, Scripture and uh, your relationship with God. Listen, the goal of the Bible is not to memorize the Bible, it's to get to know the author. Now, it's great if you memorize the Bible, that's fine, but how many understand memorizing the Bible without getting to know the author is deception. People say, well, if you don't, if you, if you base your relationship with God on an experience, you can be deceived. How many know that's true? But if you have, a, but if you, if you memorize the entire, if you memorize the Bible, if you have a relationship with the Bible and it doesn't leave you into a relationship with God, you are already deceived. Some people say all of the answers for life are in the Bible. That's not true. All the answers for life are in the author. How many would like to know where God would like you to work? How many would like to know who God would like you to marry? Oh, a lot more hands came up. <laughs> Can you find, listen, if your wife's name, your potential wife's name, not Mary or Esther, you know, you got about 30 people you can marry. And if you're not gonna be a carpenter or a shepherd, you're in trouble. Ain't no IT people in here. Does God care where you work? Of course he does. Does he care who your mate is? Of course he does. Does he have, does he have some input into that in your life? Of course he does. Are you gonna find a verse for it? Probably not. I'm simply trying to demonstrate that not all not all the answers for life are in the Bible, but all the answers for life are in the author, and the Bible's goal is to get you to know the author. <laughs> It'd be really weird if you sat outside and read the owner's manual to your car and never drove your car. So that is, that is extremely, no, no, just notice, I'll start here. Notice how he said what he did. Some of what he says is good, right? Uh, the Bible isn't a magic formula. It's not a it's not a book where you know you flip open a verse and and he's talking about that where you flip open a verse and you find a magic answer to whatever. But notice also what he's doing in that he's suggesting that we can know God apart from the Bible. And he said that at least twice I counted if I'm not wrong, Don, right? Yeah. Okay. So so this idea that we can know God apart from scripture is literally what theological liberalism thought to do. They sought to place feelings, they sought to separate not not having our feelings regulated by the Bible like we see in the Psalms. David is downcast and then he's reminding himself of scriptural truth, reminding himself of the character of God to hope again as Psalm uh, Psalm 42 talks about. And, and many other psalms, you see this again and again and again in the psalms. But, but the problem is, is when you separate the, the author from the book, well, you have to ask yourself a question. Why, why would somebody separate the author from the book? The reason is, is that they don't believe that the author gave the book. Or that they think that those who suggest, and he even talks about somebody like me who believes sola scriptura, 
and and Don and many others as well. Um, that because what school structure does is it grounds our thinking and our life and our emotions and everything that we experience under the word of God. But what Chris does is he suggests that scripture isn't enough. Now, what scripture says to deal with those decisions, they he they gives us principles, but he's also given us one another. Now, we have to be clear about this. Scripture talks about how we're to know God. We've already, I've already said a lot about that. Don has already said a lot of that. But Scripture also calls us to walk it out. In Ephesians 5, it says that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. There is a working out the, and walking out of the knowledge that we believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we have to believe the truth. We have to be grounded in the word of God. But that leads to a walking out of the truth. And in this way, we can say that there is a, basically, this is where we go to practical theology. There is an experiential aspect to the truth. Now, experiential doesn't mean that it's grounded in our experience. It means that because you're grounding your life in the word, it's being shaped by the word resulting in you walking out the truth in before other people and, and in this way that's where we see the danger because somebody can have experience or they can have knowledge they can have an education they could be a realtor and so god could use that realtor he could use the mortgage broker for example he is the example of a house getting a house so God's going to you're going to know if you're able to get if God's will for you to get that house because when you go to the mortgage broker they're going to tell you you only have so much money. Well, we know that God gives that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills the psalms say. So God gave you that money. So we know that if if you can't qualify for that house, we know that God under his providence doesn't want you he places us where he has us so that house if you can't afford it and make that payment we can say then that in the providence of god god doesn't want you to live in that neighborhood he doesn't want you to live in that house it's pretty simple uh god in terms of he mentioned marriage uh, yeah there's not an exact verse that says thou shall go and marry such and such person but guess what uh people have been married right uh that's how you know uh, children are made. It, it, that's one of the purposes of marriage. Procreate, not the only purpose, but that's why you also have your pastors. Uh, that's why they're going to help you to understand what does godliness look like? Right. Because that, that's what you should be looking for in a spouse. So in that way, under the province of God and through the help of his word and with the help of his people, you're going to be able to learn what does a godly person actually look like? That's who you should be so that you can find a godly person because you attract what you are that's a that's a fact okay you attract what you are you're never going to find the right person unless you are that person and that means that you better be who you are in christ growing in personal godliness yourself because if you're never if if you don't if you want to have a godly spouse you better be godly yourself that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect none of us are going to be perfect that that would be deny and dwelling sin that would deny the need for repentance that would go against the very idea which the reformation was also about so i'm not saying that what i am saying though is that uh, as christians we have to understand that no there is no magic formula 
for finding the right spouse, so, growing in personal godliness and pursuing uh, marriage, you better be pursuing God. You better be pursuing godliness in the Word. First uh, Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is God's will for us. So God's Word is clear uh, to, that, that our sanctification is a matter of the will of God. We can know that because it's in the Bible, which is, that's what, that's my problem mostly with what Chris is saying, is there's no, like, walking this out. There's, there's a just like, okay, well, you can't know this, this, this is not knowable. So that, that cast out on the, how do I make a decision? Um, I can't, I can't have, I can't have actual peace in the midst of my decision. Um, and, and so it, it really minimizes scripture. It minimizes a biblical understanding of experience. It, it minimizes, um, the Holy spirit using one another in the life of the church. So, um, I mean, it, and, and I think with just one more thought, since we're talking about the reformation, it also, his comments also minimize the doctrine of vocation where we gather together in the Lord's day. And then we scatter out to the place where God would have us to work. Um, not to mention all the other things about memorizing the Bible. And again, sounds good, but we're actually to memorize the Bible. Uh, Psalm 119.11, I've hidden, my, hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. So we are supposed to be taking in you know, the word and actually memorizing it in the right way, as I talked about, to, to know God better so that we can, you know, in the midst of temptation and trial and suffering, we're, we're reminding ourselves of those truths. So anyway, um, what do you think, Don? Well, listening to him say that, uh, I, I would agree that there are people that, that can read the Bible. There are people that atheists and others that have read the Bible and they've done it just so they can know what it says and they can re try to refute it. Um, and it's, and their hearts, their hearts have been hardened and they, they have not been regenerated by God. And there are people that can certainly read the word and they don't have a, re a relationship with God because they've not, uh, come to saving faith in Christ. Uh, but when you're talking to people that are professing believers and you're telling them this about scripture and that, uh, the point of the Bible is not for you to know the, the words in it, which, Chris has also said in times past, there's clips of him saying that God is bigger than his book. Mm. Um, and, and that seems to belittle scripture. And I, I have a problem with that personally <laughs> when someone says that, because we, we come to saving faith in Christ through the proclamation of the word of God, which is in scripture. There is no other way that we come to saving faith in Christ. The word is is vital. It is essential in order to come to saving faith in Christ. There is no other way. Um, your dreams, your visions, the, none of that. It's the gospel that's ministered, the gospel that is proclaimed and a dead man being brought to life by God. So him saying that, um, and there is a, an undertone a lot of times too of, well, you know, there's, you only believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And divorcing the Holy Spirit from Scripture, which you can't do, because Holy, the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. He he carried men along, according to Second Peter one. He carried men along um, to to inspire them to write the Holy Scriptures, the more sure word of prophecy. So that in and of itself. But then there's another thing there that's very subtle that he's doing, and he's saying 
you know, yes, you need to read scripture, but um, scripture is not going to have in there, you know, the name of your spouse, like what you're talking about or where you're supposed to work. And I think that you did well covering that about it. it you, but yeah, it won't. But it tells you how to have a godly spouse. It tells you how to conduct yourself in your workplace and, and, and all that you do in, glor- in word and deed to glorify Christ. But the thing is, is that he is inserting this teaching that, well, yeah, you have scripture, but if you really want to know God, then you really need to hear God for yourself. And that's where the whole thing comes in of, um, who's my spouse? I'm going to go to the Lord and, and the Lord's going to tell me who my spouse is. The Lord is going to audibly tell me or internally tell me uh, where I'm supposed to work. or I'm And this is coming from someone who was in this. So I know how this, <laughs> I know how this works about doing this and that you're hearing the voice of God for yourself. Well, who's to say that you're not hearing your own thoughts when you do that? And then you're ascribing something to God that he did not say as opposed to praying and asking for God's will to be done in a situation and trusting that God is is going to, if God permits you to do those things and he's going to do that. And if not, then you're going to be within the will of God and you know what the word of God says about certain things. Yeah, it doesn't say how to bake a cake and, you know, different things like that. But still, it has everything in it for us to know how to live in a godly way and to glorify Christ. So I I think that, again, he is denying sola scriptura in what he's doing because he's inserting this premise that, well, you, you, you want to go beyond just knowing head knowledge of scripture you need to have fellowship with God, which I would argue that uh, an essential part of your fellowship with God is knowing what the Word of God says. Um, so that way you know His attributes, you know His ways, you know what He loves, you know what He hates, and you want to glorify Him and testify Him in every way of your life. Um, but He's inserting this this belief that you need to hear the voice of God for yourself. And that really leads into... Um, error, it leads into um, as, ascribing your own thoughts to God when he didn't author them. Um, it can lead you further into deception. It leads you away from the sufficiency of scripture. It leads to biblical illiteracy, as we've talked about, because then you begin to rely more on you hearing God for yourself. And then you'll begin to use scripture like the horrible analogy that he used at the end with the car manual um, is, I mean, I, I would like to ask is, so who is the car? Is that God? Because the Bible is not given for us to know how to operate God. The Bible is given so we know the nature of God. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know why are, we need Christ. Um, and it's the it reveals the plan of redemption and the Savior, Jesus Christ, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's the story of God's people, yes, but ultimately it's revealing God, His nature, and revealing His Son who is coming to take away the sins of those who come to saving faith in Him. So, um, I mean, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, yeah. But I, I just see some some really concerning things when He's doing that because it really does, it leads down this path of 
you will you will try to conform scripture to your experience you will try to conform ex- the scripture to what you think god is saying to you and if you don't watch it you and you're going to be in this place of being so biblically illiterate that you won't even know that what you say god is telling you is actually contradicting the very word that he's already spoken so i think that there's great danger in that and and really it it's it's a concern Amen. I agree. You know, he cites Second uh, Peter one three, a part of the verse. His it says Second Peter one three says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Verse four, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed of his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, therefore, I intend intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have i think it's right as long as i am able as long as i am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus has made clear to me and i will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things that sounds totally different than what Chris says, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a knowing and there's a walking out that Peter is clearly talking about. And we're supposed to, as this passage tells us, it's telling us that because of God's grace, we are to walk out the truth. And these are things that the Spirit are producing in our life, self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, a lot of these things are fruit of the Spirit. Um, and, and this is because we've been indwelt and signed and sealed by the Spirit. And like you said, the, 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 whole, the Lord is using His Word by His Spirit in the life of the Christian as we are personally reading, studying, meditating, and memorizing the Word. And as we're hearing the Word preached, as we're fellowshipping with one another, whether that's in a small group or whether we're hearing the Word preached or, or some other thing, He's using that to help us to grow to be more like Christ. Even that difficult person, the Lord is using that difficult person or that difficult thing uh, to help us uh, talking about these things. Uh, The Lord is using these difficult things that we're talking about to grow us that talk about them in his grace. The Lord is using the response of those who hold to this view in our lives, even we can say, to help us who are speaking out against it even to grow in grace. All you have to do, all one would have to do is is be over my shoulder when I look at some of the comments that come in in my email and YouTube. And 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 the question is, yeah, 
okay, I don't like that comment, but what's my reaction to it? This is the kind of thing that the spirit is, he brings conviction. He helps us. He helps us to respond in a way that brings him honor and glory as Peter's talking about, as Paul talks about in Galatians 5 um, and so many other passages. So um, I'm just saying that what, what, Chris is saying, and then what Peter is saying, they're diametrically opposed. They're two totally different things. They're, they're not even the same. They're not even in the same category. So. so the last clip that we're going to be looking at today came from a recent video that we covered uh, some about Alexander Pagani and Remnant Radio's discussion about deliverance ministry. But this is a very short clip of Alexander Pagani talking about the foundation of scripture, about the five solas and about um, uh, changing methods when necessary regarding deliverance ministry. Now, I'm not referring to the foundational scriptural uh, uh, essence of that. That can never be changed. Christ alone, by faith alone, through the word of God alone, sola scriptura, that never changes. I'm talking about method to be able to minister more effectively in a better way, not in something Oh, just take it and leave it. Oh, they don't understand. Walk away. No, man, let's help them get free. If that's not working, go to the next strategy. That's what I'm referring to. Something that is effective rather than dismissive in tactic, tactical warfare, if I can use that as a term. So what Pagani is talking about here, it's known as contextualization. He, the, the idea of contextualization is that um, we are to be faithful to the word of God but that the, the timeless truth of God can be applied or ministered across different cultures. Now, even there, we have to be careful because there's some people who would say that we just contextualize according to the people, so you have to become like the all people, become like them and under, even participate in their lifestyle. That, that is not in the Bible. We don't ever see, you don't ever see the apostles doing that. You never see Jesus doing that. So that, that's, that's, that's one error there. What we need to do, what context, biblical contextualization is concerned with, is being faithful not only to the truth of Scripture, but faithful in our method of engaging with people. So whether that's evangelism or discipleship or preaching or missions, it must be grounded in the Bible. It must be grounded in what the church has taught, not just making up new methods or ideas. That's the danger of what uh, Pagani is talking about, making up different ways, which he talks about in that interview, um, which he, which by the way, interesting, this is just my perspective, my thoughts on this, my thought in watching that whole interview, which I did watch the whole thing, and I took copious notes. If you don't believe me, you can ask Don. Don has those notes. Okay. Yeah, we both watched it. <laughs> so we both, we both watched that. Okay, we both talked about it. The thing is, is that he he says things like that, and it and it even you could even say that sounds good. Yes, the the scrolls of Torah is the ground on which we stand, and it's to shape everything as we've said. That's a key reformational principle because, as we said, as I said earlier, our lives are to be shaped by the word, that personally and corporately. So that's a good thing that, that he's suggesting, okay? I'll say it that way. But what he's saying is that then, that our methods over time, they need to change. But our methods don't need to change. 
We need to keep doing it. Just because somebody isn't responding to the message doesn't mean that I stop being faithful to the scripture. That that's like saying, okay, to the to the mechanic, um, stop stop relying on your training or to the engineer. Stop relying on the education that you got. Or Don, in your case, uh, you know, Don, stop stop being a vet. Stop relying on your education that you you know spent all that money and all that time on. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop that. And and just start with start anew because everything that everybody got, everything that everybody did before was wrong. Right? That's the problem when your when your method isn't grounded in the Bible because you're suggesting these people suggest that's the problem with pragmatism is that they pragmatism suggests that the Bible isn't enough because we have to come up with new ideas, new ways of engaging people. Now, there's nothing wrong with being creative. I'm not against being creative. I'm not against using new ways to engage those things. But what we have to do is we have to ask, is that method, is that way of, of reaching a person, is that what the Bible says or not? And if it's not, then you're minimizing the, the sufficiency of Scripture and you're undermining the sufficiency of Scripture. That's the issue with a statement like Pagani is making. Because again, it sounds good, but then, but then, you, then as we talked about, he, he also kind of waffles back and forth. He, he says that one thing, like, like you said um, about Chris. He'll, he'll say something that sounds good. Out, out of one end, and then out of the other, he's saying another thing. Uh, he's doing what James talks about and being double-minded. You know, um, he's doing double speak, like you said, Don, and and that's the issue because keep in mind he's addressing a Christian podcast. He's on a Christian podcast, and so it's safe to assume, charitably speaking, that he is speaking to Christians, and and specifically to pastors, uh, other Christians that are going to watch this. He believes that Christians can be possessed by a demon, and he practices that at other churches for the demon slayers, which we're going to look at uh, here soon. Another video that's uh, documentary that's coming out, um, like "Come Out in Jesus' Name." That's that's the problem with their view. You see it when he says things like that. Oh, I, I believe in sola scriptura, but then my method needs to change the way in which I'm engaging. And so the question is, is that method, is that way of engaging, is it in the Bible? And is it appropriate to engage in that ministry towards another Christian? Because the Christian has been declared not guilty. They've been justified. They've been sealed in the Spirit. They've been indwelt by the Spirit. And, and the question is, did Jesus do that kind of ministry to his disciples? Did, did the apostles do that ministry towards those who are in the church, who are in Christ? And, and the answer to that is no. You don't see that in the book of Acts. And even if you did, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be normative. It wouldn't be something that was normally done, as in always done, which it never is. But that, that's, that's another point entirely. But you don't see that as a normative thing, a normal occurrence in the ministry and the life of of the church, irrespective of the biblical, the theological, the personal, the practical considerations that we've talked about many times, it's deeply concerning that he su is suggesting that, um, yeah, believe sola scriptura, but then change your methods. 
but but what what we're changing to we're changing to something that the bible doesn't say that we're to do so again first thessalonians 5 21 tells us to test all things and to hold fast to what is good so we can reject that 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 suggestion of his which is all that it is um and say that that, that we we are to reject it because it's, it's not according with sola scriptura which is having our lives personally shaped and grounded personally and then corporately in the life of the church grounded and shaped by the word itself in both its teaching and its practice and its walking out of truth and even in the methods that he's talking about of, of changing methods regarding deliverance ministry while claiming sola scriptura and i know we talked about this before um but his book even negates sola scriptura <laughs> he he claims extra biblical revelation from that book of secrets to deliverance. So the fact that he's saying sola scriptura, but then he's saying the Holy Spirit spoke to him and gave him this revelation and told him these things that negates sola scriptura. That 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 that, that doesn't jive. That just doesn't fit. But him saying these methods change. You go to the next method, and I think you touched on this even last time when we talked about this. That that you're not making the gospel um the primary that that's the that's that's the ultimate method or what you're using which that is what we're supposed to do but instead um you have this the use of changing methods well if this doesn't work then we want to go to this well where did the methods come from are you saying they're divinely inspired if they're not found in scripture because we don't see a um as far as deliverance is concerned, we don't see a um, formula for for casting demons out of people. And then, of course, it just the whole thing too of of what they mean by deliverance and who deliverance is for, which we've we've discussed. But the changing of methods, they're they're basically changing and going down the line and coming and having these man made teachings and these man made methods that they have concocted, because again. I think the argument could be made is that scripture is just not sufficient <laughs> and what God has done is not sufficient. There always has to be something new or something fresh in order for it to be effective. Uh, he even admitted that in that interview with Remnant Radio where he said that when he was dealing with the Christian hip hop uh, during that time, that uh, he had to have new methods to deal with things in the 90s. He couldn't use the methods that Derek Prince and some of the older ones had used before. They had to have something updated uh, because Satan was updating or upgrading, and so the church needed to upgrade. So, again, it appeals to man-made teaching, um, their their belief system as far as what that's concerned, and, again, denying sola scriptura. It, it goes back to, well, well, we'll give lip service to it, pay homage to it. We believe scripture. And I'm not saying he doesn't believe scripture. I'm just saying there's inconsistency in what, in what he is saying. It's not matching up. Um, and words have meanings. And <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they need to know what the meanings are. Sola means one uh, like it's alone that's alone what that it, there's nothing else other than that and when you're claiming that you have these methods that are not found in scripture and these things that the holy spirit is telling you and leading you and guiding you to do which again is appealing to authority then that's not sola scriptura and it's not resting on the sufficiency of 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ on Christ alone, faith alone, to the glory of God alone, um, grace alone, scripture alone. It's not it's not resting upon those things. It's a it's appealing to experience into man made teaching. Yeah. So when we talk about scripture, we're stating that we believe the whole Bible, that the Bible is the one and only rule for faith and practice, apart from any tradition or any other human authority. But we also believe in tota scriptura, scripture wholly, or every part of scripture, that the Bible is equally inspired by God, that every word is given by God for our good, for our instruction, for our life, and for our godliness. In other, ways, in other words, we don't only believe the truth of what scripture says, but scripture is to inform and to shape and to ground our lives. And like you're saying, Don, what Pagani does, he says the right thing, he sounds good, even part of what he says is right. But then, like with Chris, the rest of it is not any good. And, and, and as we know, and as we've talked about many times, um, it's, it's also the practice that's deeply concerning because the practice isn't rooted in what they're saying. They'll say one thing and then they'll practice another. Or they'll say one thing and then it's like the practice actually matches what they said. You know, in this case, you know, for the examples of going one to another to their churches to do deliverance ministry and fill, fill the altar and, and on and on that goes, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the reason why we keep the pushing and keep speaking out about this and even why we're going to write a book on this topic because people need to see part of what they're saying is good. But remember, remember what, remember what Satan did with Jesus. Part of what Satan said to Jesus sounded good, but then Jesus quoted the whole Bible and said, it is written. He, here's the Son of God and the Son of Man appealing to the actual authority um, and sufficiency of God's word itself. Yeah. And that is an important example because scripture, like you said, words have meaning. Scripture has meaning. Some people say, oh, you know what? The scripture is just such an old document, so I can't even know God. So so then what? this is why people doubt the Bible is because they say, you know what? I can't believe the Bible because all there's all these interpretations. But the problem is, is that the Bible has a meaning. The Bible has words, and words have meaning. And so those meaning have to be understood, as we talked about at the beginning, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understanding what the author intended to do under the inspiration of the Spirit in that book. Because if you don't understand that, you can't even get to the level of context until you understand that. And then you can get to the context to understand, okay, here's what this context of this path of the, the book means in light of the whole. Then you can get into the rest of it what is this what is this passage what does this context of this passage mean what does this individual then passage mean in light of the whole and what do these words mean within that particular sentence until until you understand that that the whole bible has a meaning and that words have meaning and that those words are to be interpreted rightly that's why we have biblical interpretation that's why we have a hermeneutics that's why we have are to have a right view of the bible itself because what we do with the bible as I, and i know people have heard me say this many times what we do with the bible reveals what you think about the bible there's no other way to know god there's no other way um to 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 know the truth to rightly handle the truth other than what you think about the bible and what pagani has told us is he thinks that the bible is not sufficient uh, sufficient as so far it goes as it's the truth but it's not sufficient enough for its method 
because he engages in a method that the Bible doesn't practice. And it's not just believing the right things that matter for the Christian. It's practicing it. It's putting it into practice personally and in our teaching and the way in which we minister to other people. And it's not just to be clear. I'm not just picking on deliverance ministry. We see this as a problem in the broader church today. We have ma- we can't even get into all of it, but we have massive problems on gender and sexuality with people who are doing exactly what Pagani is saying. Well, I believe the Bible is so far it can go, right? Uh, perhaps, but then I don't believe the Bible is enough to actually change me and and make me who God has called me to be. And so I'm going to doubt that. I'm only going to believe it as far as it goes. Or you even have some professing Christians who suggest that those parts of the Bible that talk about our sexuality and gender should be completely obliterated from the Bible. I'm only using that as another example outside of the deliverance ministry so people don't think that I'm only we're only picking on deliverance ministry or Bethel. It's a problem all over the place today. On gender, on sexuality, on social justice, people say that the Bible is is enough or suggest that it's perhaps enough i'll say it that way but then they deny the sufficiency of scripture in practice so it's not only that we're to believe the right things those things are to impact our lives because they lead to something or walking out of the truth put another way our doctrine matters because it impacts the way in which we live sound doctrine matters because it affects the way we live and and, and if it doesn't affect the way we live we have to go back and ask the question, do I believe the doctrine that I'm teaching? And and I think I've I've watched enough of these guys now to say they just simply don't believe the the stuff that they're peddling. They 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 may teach it, but they they don't practice it. And and so you have to ask yourself a question, why are they teaching even some of the kernel of truth that seems okay, but then they don't practice it? And the reason is, is that they're, they're, they are leading people astray. They're saying, you know, preach Christ alone. You know, he's even said, Pagani himself has said to deliverance guys, as we talked about uh, last time um, with, with you, Don, you know, preach, preach Christ alone, preach Christ alone. We need to do a better job of that, right? But then, then where's that in your practice? Because if, if it's the sufficiency of Christ's word, and that tells us of the sufficiency of Christ, then you should not only preach it, it should be informing your ministry. And it's not informing your their ministry. It's not. They, they can say that like Chris and Bethel does until they're blue in the face. But everybody sees what they're doing. Everybody sees it. They're starting to see it. Because that's why we're calling it out. It's not only what you believe that matters, it's, it's your practice. Where's the practice? The practice reveals what you believe. So stop stop uh, talking out of both ends of your mouth because people know what words mean. Words mean something. People have actual training like myself in the theology, and it's not hard to spot. And by the way, as a Christian, you are called to be discerning. This is not unloving for me to say this. Ephesians 5.11 commands me to expose the works of darkness. This is one of the tools that Satan wants to use. He wants to, like Chris ironically was saying, you, you know, you can be deceived. Well, the only way that you can be deceived as a Christian is if you don't know what your Bible says. That's why right. you need to be in your word 
like you need water and food and drink and sleep every day. That's the level of your need for God's word so that you can discern, you can test or analyze, examine what these teachers are saying in light of the Bible, like the Bereans, and you can say, "Mm -mm, that is totally bad, it's totally wrong, I'm rejecting that on the basis of God's word alone. I'm rejecting their practice. I'm rejecting their ministry. I'm refusing to fund their ministry. I'm refusing to listen to their music because they they don't practice and they don't preach the truth. That's that's where we have to go. We have to stop giving money to these people. We have to stop participating in their ministry. We have to stop following their ministry. Instead, we need to do as Romans 16 says, a mark and avoid every single one of them. And that is why... Until their until my very last breath, I will be speaking out against these people. I will because they need to be marked and they need to be avoided, and people need to understand why they're saying why what they're saying is wrong. It goes against the Bible. It goes against what the church has taught. It harms people practically. It harms them personally. It affects marriages. It it affects lives. It affects our society. And, and if that's not enough, it, it, it denies the sufficiency of God's word, and it undermines then the sufficiency of Christ, which they say they believe, but then they don't practice. So I amen all of that. <laughs> and I know it sounds unloving to some people. They will say about where you said Romans 16, 17, about marking and avoiding, um, but that's Scripture. <laughs> so we, we have to— understand that when scripture has has commands in it and instructions that that supersedes our feelings it supersedes our opinion it uh, it supersedes um our thoughts about about a matter on that and what our personal feelings are about that we have to rest upon the foundation of god's word that is the final authority that we rest upon and we need to have a high view of Scripture, and we need to have a high view of um, wanting to contend for the, the truth of God's Word. If we're not willing to do that, and we're more concerned about defending an individual or defending our personal experiences or defending what we think God told us, then we, we're dishonoring God. We're dishonoring His Word. And where uh, I know Second Corinthians thirteen five, Paul urged the Corinthians to test themselves to see if they were even in the faith. I would argue that born again believers, true born again believers, will not deny the sufficiency of God's word, and they will defend it. They will defend it because they want to honor God above all things. It's not about personally being right. It's about standing up for what is right, and it's His Word, and standing for truth. And sometimes that's a very lonely thing to do, because you're not going with the the status quo on this. And these types of things, Bethel has a huge following. Um, some of these these deliverance ministers and others in, in the charismatic and areas of the hyper-charismatic, and the inner, they have massive followings. So this is not something that we are doing for popularity. <laughs> Um, it, this is it, the theology matters. Truth matters. The word of God in the proper context matters because if you don't know 
what the context is and you don't know what the Word of God says, then you'll be easily deceived. You'll be led astray. And you may even not know God as you should, meaning you don't know the things about God because you don't know His Word. And that, again, that's how you came to saving faith in Christ was through the proclamation of the gospel. And if you haven't heard the gospel, then you don't know Christ. And the 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 gospel um, is is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of our sins. Because apart from Him, we are in rebellion. We are disobedient. We deserve the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on us apart from Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because we were lawbreakers and we were rebellious, God, rich in His mercy, sent His Son to die for us on the cross and to pay the debt that we owed. And when we repent and believe and put our saving faith and trust in him to save us and to and to pay our debt in full before God and to justify us, then we are adopted into the family of God and we are um, born again and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And we're given the promise of, of being resurrected with Christ, of eternal life and being glorified with him. And, his, and he is so faithful to us in this world that he has sent his Holy Spirit who doesn't need to be sent again, by the way. God does not need to send again the spirit of revelation. The Holy Spirit's already here, and He's indwelling those who belong to God. And He's leading us and guiding us by His Spirit and by His Word. And so He's and He's sanctifying us. He's conforming us. He is at work right now doing many things in the life of born-again believers, and He is regenerating people every single day. So this is worth contending for. This is not a small matter. This is worth contending for. And, and we have to be willing to, to stand um, and fight for this, not fight against flesh. We know we not fight against flesh and blood. And we're, this is, there is a spiritual aspect to this, a spiritual warfare we're engaging. But this is, this is a hill worth dying on for the the gospel the reformers thought the same thing they they this was a hill worth dying on of standing on scripture alone god christ alone to the glory of god alone faith alone uh grace alone this is worth dying for because christ is worth dying for um we're to glorify him in everything that we do um and to call to those that are even false teachers and say repent that's a loving thing to do repent repent Amen. i think i'll leave it at that <laughs> that's 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 more than enough so i think this has been really good and you know like don was saying if you're listening to this if you're in the movement or or you're you're stuck in false teaching please know that you know we are committed here at contending for the word at serve which is part of servants of grace we are committed to walking alongside of you to continuing to speak out you know, and we may not be able to always address everything, you know, but that doesn't mean that we don't care about that. But we are not a, we're a small team, we're a growing team, but we're committed to continuing to speak out about these matters because like Don was saying, these things really do hurt people. And, and we care about people as Christians because we love the Lord and, and we've been saved by his grace. We know the help of his word. We know the means of grace through through the reading and studying and memorization of the word. We know the corporate means of grace, the fellowship of God's people, the corp, uh, the preaching of God's word, and, and on and on we can go. And this is why we're compelled 
to speak out for the honor and the glory, first and foremost, of God and for the good of other people that they might be warned, as Scripture says, that God's people might be equipped, and so that those who are in this movement who are lost and dead in their trespasses and sins may be, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, made alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That was the heart of the Reformation. That was the cry of the Reformation. And that is why the church must always be reforming around the Word of God. So I just want to say thank you guys for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. And until next week, may God bless you. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawnatlovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesubscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.